Good morning. You can take your Bibles and turn to the 13th chapter of Matthew. We'll be getting there in a little bit. Three weeks ago, we uh, began a study on evangelism to help reinforce what we were doing in Sunday school with our Gospel Reset series. The idea, hoping that these messages would be a practical way of helping you share the gospel, a practical way of helping you to learn how to, how to bring someone to Jesus. We live in a different culture today, don't we? And it's tougher today than what it used to be. People no longer, you can't assume people have a knowledge of Christ or any knowledge of his word anymore, and that they would have any idea about words, a, a Christian vocabulary that our country and the people here around us once had. And so it's different, and it's difficult. And the purpose of Gospel Reset was to try to get us to be able to approach our culture in a way that it will bring attention to Jesus and, and what people's appetites for the gospel. So three weeks ago we got into this and I began with prayer because prayer is the key. Folks, we will not succeed evangelistically if we don't pray. If we fail to pray, we fail, period. We will not be successful at evangelism. We won't be successful at sharing our faith with others if we don't pray for that person and if we don't pray for ourselves and for courage and, and wisdom and knowledge as we try to build a relationship with that person. So we began with prayer. And then two weeks ago, I shared with you that evangelism is a process and that it usually proceeds through three stages leading up to a decision to either trust Christ as Lord and Savior or to reject Him. Stage one is the cultivation stage. It's the building the relationship stage. We, we address a person's emotions in building a relationship with that person that needs to come to Christ. Stage two is the sowing stage. We address their minds, their intellect, as we share the Word of God with them, as we share the gospel with them by word of mouth, we actually tell them God loved them so much He sent His Son to die for their sins so they could have eternal life in a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We tell them the gospel because that's the power of God unto salvation to those that believe, according to Romans 1.17. Stage 3 is the harvesting stage. We address their will in seeking a decision from them to either accept Christ or not to accept Christ. Those three stages. Today, we're looking at stage two, the sowing stage. We must learn how to sow the seed of the gospel, the seed of the Word of God, into the lives of our non-Christian friends that we've built a relationship with. We've been building that relationship. We've been cultivating that friendship with them, preparing the soil of their hearts with the love of Christ that we show them in our daily lives. But there comes a time when we need to actually speak the word of God to them. 
Some people think if I just live a godly life, if I just show them a Christian example, I'm evangelizing them. Well, you are, but you're not going the whole way. Evangelism, sharing our faith, requires us speaking the Word of God to them. Faith cometh by hearing, and they've got to hear it from you. Not just see it, that backs up the spoken word, but it doesn't take the place of the spoken word. So we have to speak it to them. And maybe the best way to do that in our world today, we talked about proclamational evangelism. Most people don't come to Christ as a result of just hearing a sermon, okay? We talked about confrontational, intrusional evangelism, all right? Very few people, nobody here raised their hand if they came to Christ that way. But those that came to Christ as a result of family and friends and the relationship they had with them, everybody's hand went up. And so maybe the best way to, to, to speak the word, the gospel to them, is to get them involved maybe in a small group. Uh, uh, some kind of meaningful Bible study where they begin to see Jesus as he reveals himself in all of his beauty within the scriptures. You see, during that cultivation stage, when we're building that relationship, we find ways to identify ourselves as followers of Jesus in a non-threatening manner. We do it in a way that will create an interest in what we possess in Christ. Let me give you an example. If our friend is sharing with us how their boss at work is just driving them crazy, we might respond by showing concern and saying, well, tomorrow morning during my devotional time, I'll pray that God will help you deal with your boss and that that situation will improve. Now, what have you just done? What have you just told that non-Christian friend? That you have a devotion time, that you pray, and that you pray to who? Which means you believe in God. Now, have you just preached to your friend? You haven't really preached to them, but you've told them quite a bit, haven't you? In a non-threatening manner. Because in the early stages of cultivation, that's about all you need to say. You don't need to go into a long explanation of your morning devotion routine. You just want to identify yourself as a follower of God by describing in a positive way something that Christians do. And you just did that. You just pitch it out for them for them to hear. You see, early in the friendship, you don't want to bury that friend with more information than they're ready to process. So avoid the temptation of saying too much. You're simply trying to whet their spiritual appetite. The time will come when they'll be ready for more. But for now, we're just simply declaring ourselves to be a follower of Jesus Christ in a simple, non-threatening, and positive manner. You might do it by saying, hey, I'll keep you in my prayers this week so they know that you pray. And we assume they will know that you're praying to God. Or maybe you might say, you know, I, I don't know how I would have gotten through that difficult time without God's help. They know you're a believer in God. Or, you know, what I read in the Bible this morning really helped me through the day, and maybe it'll help you too. 
Anything like that will help that new friend see the reality of our personal walk with Christ. And once they see that, and our friendship then gets on solid ground, and, it's, and that relationship is established, it's time to move on to the sowing stage. Nothing, nothing can take the place of sharing the Word of God with someone that needs Jesus. Nothing can take the place of the gospel. It is God's power unto salvation. And Paul said that the gospel that he proclaimed was comprised of three main points. What were they? You remember? That Christ, 1 Corinthians 15, hey, don't forget this. This is the core of the gospel. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. That's the message they've got to hear. That's the message that is the power of God unto salvation. Amen? Yeah. So don't forget those three things. He died, not just that he died, but he died why? For our sins according to the scriptures. Don't leave that part out. He was buried and raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And so we get to the place where we have to sow that seed in their lives. Maybe you do it by inviting them to Sunday school. You know, a, a Bible study can be on Sunday morning at Sunday school time, or it can be at a home group meeting. It can even be a, in a private one-on-one -on -one study between you and that friend. But, but the more Christians you can introduce to your new friend, the more resources the Holy Spirit will have at his disposal in exerting his influence. So getting your friend involved in studying the Bible with others is a tremendous tool in preparing the soil of their heart to respond to the message of the gospel. And a small group setting with others is a great place for that to happen. There's a number of positive aspects about leading your friend into studying the Bible in a small group. Small groups often provide the, the affirmation of unconditional love. And everybody needs that. The truth of the scripture can be experienced through the interpersonal dynamic of that group. And they can just become attached to that group and look forward to it. Small groups also offer the advantage of availability. It helps your friends see doctrine lived out, fleshed out in a way that they can feel. Small groups also allow for openness. I mean, you, you, you remember that most formal church settings don't allow the unchurched to ask honest questions about her faith? I mean, when was the last time on a Sunday morning while I was preaching that you saw someone raise their hand and say, Bill, I have a question? Okay. That's what I'm talking about. But, but in the open interaction of a small group of friends where questions are welcomed and appreciated and taken seriously, Hey, some real learning can take place. Honesty, sensitivity are absolutely essential in a small group study. We want to be honest about the content of the scriptures and what it teaches, but we want to be sensitive to each other's feelings too. And a small group of friends can allow for confidentiality and accountability. We begin to trust each other with some of the issues of life that we're facing and then when we look at the Word of God and we're confronted with Jesus in the Word, we, 
we begin to move past the surface elements of friendship down into the nitty-gritty of what life is all about. And when Jesus makes a certain claim upon our lives and in the study of the Scriptures, we need to be open enough to ask each other if we're ready to take that claim seriously and do what he says. Within a small group Bible study, God can bring into play some powerful tools. Our own personal witness, the witness of our Christian friends in the group, the witness of the Word of God itself, and then the Holy Spirit's own divine power as He works through our lives and works through the Scripture with the heart of our friend. And then once that seed has been sown in their hearts and minds, then you await the decision. Their decision will tell you if a harvest is going to take place. Here's the tough part. Once you've sown the seed of the gospel in their lives, and once they've come to, to recognize this is what, what Jesus wants me to do, it's tough to be patient. Because some seed takes a lot longer to grow than other seed, right? Yeah. And some seed will never grow at all. In our world today, you will probably find out more people will reject Jesus than accept him. And that can really be frustrating. It shouldn't be surprising because Jesus has already told us it'll be that way. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, wide is the way, wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And How many find it? Many. But narrow is the gate and straight is the way that leads to life. And how many find it? So that tells us that there will be more people that will reject Jesus than accept him. More people will go to hell than to heaven. So when you have people reject the message and reject the gospel, it's frustrating, but it's not surprising. He's already told us, he's already warned us that it'll be that way. In fact, in the parable of the sowers, we come here to Matthew 13, where I had you turn. Jesus talks about the different responses that we'll receive when we share the gospel. So, in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 3, it says, And he, Jesus, spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell upon the rocky places where they didn't have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded crops, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, after Jesus spoke those words, his disciples come to him. They're a little bit confused about the meaning of the parable, as well as being confused as to why Jesus is speaking in parables to the people. So, Jesus explains why he's doing that, and then he gives them an explanation of the parable of the sower, so we don't have to wonder what he meant by it. It's in verses 18 through 23. He says, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what's been sown in his heart. 
This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. So in Bible times, there in the first century, they would broadcast the seed out on the ground, on the field, and then they'd plow it under. They didn't plow the field first and then sow the seed. They sowed the seed and then they plowed the field. All right? And their plow, a lot of times, was nothing more than a crooked stick that was pulled behind a donkey or an ox, and really it would just scratch the surface. Now, when you broadcast seed, you can't always tell where it's going to fall, can you? I think of sowing grass seed, you know, something real light or whatever. Hey, if the wind catches up, where's it going to fall? Well, it's going to fall any place and every place. And so it was in Bible days, if the wind got a hold of it, you didn't know where it was going to fall. And because of that, some of the seed would fall on the pathway where people walked, all right, uh, just on hard ground. It fell in a place where it could not penetrate the surface. And Jesus said, these are the ones who when they hear the word and they don't understand it, Satan comes and plucks it out of their minds before it ever has a chance to penetrate their hearts and their minds and have a chance to grow. So what's Jesus saying? When you try to share the gospel with someone, there's always going to be those in every community that will be like this. They'll have no concern at all for the gospel. When the gospel is presented to them, they'll not even allow it to penetrate, to get into their minds and their conscious understanding. And before they ever begin to really contemplate what the gospel is all about, Satan's going to come and snatch that word away and they will make no response at all. Back after, right after I got out of Bible college especially, these kind of folk used to really bother me. And to this day, I'm still bothered by the person that doesn't want to hear about Jesus because I know what their ultimate destination is. I, I used to think everybody wanted to hear the gospel. Boy, was I ever wrong. And particularly is that so in our world today. I am amazed at the number of people in any given community that could care less about Jesus. And I'm concerned about that, but I'm not going to let it stop me. See, I have to understand, and so do you, that when you go to share the gospel in, in your community, all right, with that, that friend you're building that relationship with, and you begin to actually tell them what Jesus did for them, you got to know in advance that there are going to be those who will have no concern at all, and they might even shut the door in your face. Don't let those people discourage you. Jesus has already told us it's going to be that way. He's already warned us. And right here in our community, in this county, there are people like this who have no concern at all for Jesus. Now, we still have to sow the seed. We still have to make the effort, okay, but we never let their lack of response discourage us from what we need to do. Jesus also said that some of the seed fell on rocky soil. 
What does he mean by that? Well, that sounds like soil that has a lot of rocks in it, right? <laughs> you can find that all over Palestine and Israel. When we were there in 2010, you could just see field after field where there was just nothing but rocks. That's not the kind of soil Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about that soil where there's a very thin layer of topsoil, and not far beneath it, the bedrock is close to the surface. Now, when you have soil where the bedrock is close to the surface and you plant seeds there, what's going to happen? They're going to grow. That bedrock is going to serve almost like a kind of a hotbed, and the seeds will, will, will grow and very quickly, almost immediately. But when the sun gets up and begins to beat down on those plants, what happens? Yeah, they're going to wither and die because they have no depth of root. Their root system cannot penetrate that bedrock and get down to the moisture and the good stuff to make them grow. And Jesus is saying to us that when you're trying to share the gospel with someone, there's always going to be those individuals just like this. They will accept the gospel readily, but they don't have any depth of understanding. They don't allow the gospel to take root deeply in their heart and their conscious mind. And so when difficulties arise, when persecution comes, as Jesus says, or maybe when someone makes a sliding remark about them, they can't handle it. They have no depth in them. And so they wither and they die spiritually. I have in my office a book which has in it a place where I have listed every person that I have baptized into Christ and the date on which I baptized them, their name, the date, all of them. And I know for a fact that there are several of them that no longer follow Jesus. They had no depth of root. And when the troubles and trials of life came or when they got back maybe with their old friends and their old way of life, they just withered in their faith. And I'm bothered by that but I'm still not going to let that keep me from sowing more seed and trying to win more people to Christ because Jesus, again, has told me in advance there's going to be people like that. He says there's a third kind of reception to the gospel. These are those of the thorny soil. And these may bother me as much as anything. These kind of people, these are the ones that really understand the value of the gospel. They see the need of it in their life. They're sick and tired of living a sinful life. They know on their own that they're going nowhere. There's something missing in their life that no amount of possessions or money can satisfy. They're tired of living that way. They know what will happen if they keep on living the kind of life that they're living. And so they feel like they're going down and down and down and there's no real future for them, no real satisfaction. And then they hear about Jesus and they see him lived out in someone's life and they realize that's what I'm looking for. That's the answer. This is what I've wanted all along. And so with joy, they accept Christ. They're baptized into him and they begin to live the Christian life. But lo and behold, they are poor gardeners. And they don't keep the weeds pulled out of their life. And no one can produce well if they're living in the weeds. I've never understood what it is about thorns and weeds that cause them to grow faster than domesticated plants. Have you ever figured that one out? If so, tell me, okay? 
I just, I, I don't know why that's the case, but it, it is. And why is it in life that it seems to be the same way? That if you put a non-Christian with a Christian, more often than not, the non-Christian will pull the Christian down to his level rather than the Christian pulling the non-Christian up to his level. All right? I, I mean, that just seems to be the case. Why is that? I don't know, but that's, that's often the way it works. Folks, we've got to be good gardeners. We've got to keep the weeds pulled out, the thorns pulled out. Jesus said these thorns were the worries of the world. Are you a chronic worrier? Are you a worry wart? Whoever come up with that word? Okay. Your mom <laughs> came up with that, okay. I'm telling you, you can get so focused on the things that you worry about that you fail to cultivate your spiritual life. And it'll cause you to die spiritually. It'll weaken you in the faith. The scripture tells us not to worry. In Matthew 6, verse 25. But rather, according to Matthew 6, 33, we are to do what? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God to take care of everything else. Jesus also says some of these thorns have to do with the deceitfulness of riches. What's so deceitful about riches? They make you feel good, yeah. A false sense of security, absolutely right. Riches, people deceive themselves into thinking they have security if they have enough wealth. How many people learned the opposite last year during the pandemic? A lot of people were just wiped out. There's no security in wealth. The scripture says that riches and wealth can disappear very quickly, just like they had wings and it can fly away. And yet many Many who even profess to be Christians get so involved with making more and more money that they neglect the opportunities to grow spiritually and their pursuit of riches chokes out the Word of God and they become unfruitful, as Jesus says in verse 22. Why is it so easy to spend two or three hours at a ball game or shopping or going out to eat and so hard to spend an hour or two inside a church building? Why is that? And then we have the audacity to say that we love Jesus. And we claim to be Christians and be followers of Jesus, and yet we allow everything else in the world just to crowd him out. Jesus says there will be people like that in every community. So be careful. It can even happen to you if you don't get rid of the thorns in your life. And with some people, it happens to them, and they don't even notice it. But thanks be to God, there will always be that fourth kind of reception to the gospel. And these are the ones that really keep you going. It is not my love for people that keeps me in the ministry. If you think that, you're wrong. It's not my love for people that keeps me going. It's my love for Jesus. I suspect the same would be true for you. People will fail you. Jesus never will. And the reason that you stay in church is because of your love for Jesus. And you demonstrate your love for him by loving the people around you. You see, the only way I can adequately demonstrate my love for Jesus Christ is to love you. And I'm here preaching the gospel this morning because of my love for Christ. 
That's what keeps me going. And I've learned that in every community there are people that love Jesus, and that encourages me. And the exciting thing is that right here in our county and in our town and here and in Lawrenceville, our whole community, there are people that are not yet Christians who have not yet obeyed the gospel that have the potential of becoming a hundredfold and some 60 and some 30, as Jesus said. They're good soil. And they're simply waiting for you to sow the seed. They're waiting for you to share the gospel with them. And I can assure you that there will always be people in this community that are going to respond favorably to the gospel and receive it with gladness of heart and bring forth a harvest. How do I know that? He said so. Do you believe that? Yeah, do you believe? I mean, Jesus said so. What other reason do we need to believe that? There will always be people around us that will respond favorably to the gospel if we have the courage to sow the seed. So, those three stages of evangelism, the cultivation stage where we build the relationship. Are you doing that with someone? The sowing stage where once we get them to that point where they're ready to receive the word of God implanted in their soul as James says in James chapter 1. And we have to do that and we have to speak it. Faith cometh by hearing. They have to hear it from us. And that message that Christ died for their sins, was buried and rose from the dead, that is God's power unto salvation. Anything more powerful than God's power? Nope. You've got to plant that seed. And then you wait for the harvest. And maybe more often than not, you won't see the harvest. But there will always be some who will accept. And that will keep us going and keep us planting the seed. Maybe there's someone here today who needs to respond to the gospel. God loved you so much he sent his son to save you from your sins. Everybody here is going to have eternal life. But where are you going to spend it at? If you accept Christ and live for him, you spend it in a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells, according to 2 Peter, the third chapter. Heaven. If you reject it, just the opposite. It's your choice. Jesus died to save you so that your eternity would be one that is beyond your comprehension. If you need to respond to that today, you can do that. You can meet me right down front when we stand and sing. You come believing in Jesus that he's the son of God. You place your faith in him. You repent of your sins. You confess your faith in Jesus you're immersed in water, at which point God forgives you of your sins. And he places within you the gift of his Holy Spirit. Then you live a life of faithfulness. Revelation 2.10, he that's faithful unto death, I'll give unto him the crown of life. But I know that looking at you all here that almost all of you probably have already made that decision. So what decision is there for us to make today? Sow the seed. Build the relationship, sow the seed, wait for the harvest. There will always, always be someone that will come to Christ.
You just got to keep at it. Let's stand and sing.